It's not something that comes naturally. As I said, when I first started this job, I wasn't as confident as I was, and I needed some help really kind of finding my voice. This is The Talent Show, a new podcast series from FT Talent, a hub of innovation from the Financial Times. It's hosted by under-30s for the under-30s around the world. This second series is about all the aspects the FT organization is covering today, from editorial to development, from data to talent. I am Virginia Stagni, and this is a guide we designed to inspire you to be the one driving innovation and change. Welcome to the show. Okay, thank you so much for tuning in. Another episode of the Talent Show. Thank you so much to all our listeners. Uh, it's uh, a great uh, pleasure to have uh, today with us the voice of the Financial Times. And every morning a cup of coffee is uh, um, digested with our FT News Briefing with Mark Filipino. How are you, Mark? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. No, thank you so much for coming. And as you know, here we are really trying to get into uh, the journey of uh, FT people, giving a bit of career tips. And, uh, you know, you have been hosting uh, Uh, for how long now? About three and a half years. Okay, so you have been literally in our headphones for quite a long time. <laughs> the FT News Briefing that we have been promoting on this podcast quite a lot as well to give you, of course, an overview each morning of what has happened in the world and what is relevant. And Mark is the voice and is the host of, uh, I think, is the most listened Uh, podcast of financial uh, the financial times podcast yes it's the most listened to yes exactly so um today mark we are a bit reversing right yeah, the... <laughs> yeah. and it's I, i feel a lot of pressure i have to say because um with mark we are doing a bit of like as well audio courses and uh, a bit of teaching about audio and how to improve how to do this job and today we would love to share a bit of your wisdom with our listeners and viewers Yeah, that sounds great. And uh, to be completely honest, like full disclosure, when we talked about this before, but uh, I'm also nervous because I'm usually the interviewer. So uh, this is a very new role for me. So we're, we're going to learn about this together. We're going to do this together. So, uh, Mark, beautiful voice, but how everything started for you in the world of journalism? It's a great question. So uh, in a word, slowly. Um, I graduated college in 2011 from Boston University, and I was so interested in pursuing a degree in sports journalism that I kind of just boxed out everything else. Um, and then I graduated, and I realized that there was just so much more that I wanted to do, uh, government, politics, general assignment news. And I took a few freelance positions uh, and then eventually started working for some local papers around New England, Maine, Massachusetts, the Boston areas uh -huh. in the States. And from that point on, I, I, was, I was interested in reporting, but I was more interested in doing audio work. I really wanted to work for public radio. So I went back to school. I went to grad school in Chicago. I spent a few months interning for a public radio station out there. And then I went back to Boston and got my first job in public radio at a, at a station called WGBH. And then I needed a job in New York because my now wife is, was living there. Okay. And love brought you to New York. <laughs> love brought me okay. to New York. And uh, I was just, I was desperate for a job. And it just so happened, it just so happened that the person who was leading the U.S. audio team at the time was looking for a freelancer. And then I, you know, I was freelancing with her for a few months. And then their host left just out of the blue. 
And I, they called me up and they said, can you be in New York as soon as possible? I said, give me two weeks to get all my stuff, move down. And I started this job April 1st, 2019. All right. I think it's quite interesting uh, what you're saying, but of course it's a bit of, of you know, uh, lack and circumstances, but also I think it's quite relevant uh, the, when a host leaves a show. What we know about the audience and the, the attractions to um, podcasts is the relationship, the intimate relationship you make with the, the voice and the listeners. And how, do, how did you approach this? Like, you know, like uh, invading a, in a certain sense, you know, a show and you needed to present yourself as the new host and build a new habit. So I, first of all, I was very nervous. Um, I had done some on-air stuff before, but I had never hosted. I think one of the things that was really beneficial to me was the show was really young when I took over. So when I, when I came on, the show had only existed for six months. First of all, there was a smaller audience than there was now. So there wasn't as much of a rapport to build up. Um, and the host was only there for a short amount of time. Yeah. So essentially, I got to start from scratch. Um, and I got to make a bunch of mistakes with with fewer listeners, um, with fewer listeners tuning in. So I felt in some ways very lucky to um, have a lower stakes, lower pressure opportunity to make those mistakes and really find my footing because I'm not... I wasn't anywhere as good as I am now. <laughs> like I, I was really, I really struggled with it. Um, and I think having that safety net, knowing that, you know, it was only like a few thousand people at the time, um, that really helped me build my confidence. I think this is quite key, like being proactive and uh, testing yourself even uh, out of your comfort zone is uh, something that we are pushing all our listeners uh, to do um, to do here. But just doing a bit of a step back, what does it mean to be in a, uh, audio journalist. How is it different to work in a newsroom in a, such a, a different format and space? We talked about the intimacy that you build with your listeners. How, 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 what's your view on that? I think the thing that is the most important is meeting meeting and respecting your listeners halfway, right? I think when you when you write, there's an expectation that the the readers will come to you with a certain understanding and a style that uh, that is very much of the publication. So like there's there's an FT voice in the paper, which is great, right? But you you kind of know that you need to have a certain, expectation coming into the FT, this is the way that the, the articles are formatted, and they're more or less going to be the same every single time out. I think with audio, you need to know that that you need to appeal to as, as broad of an audience as possible and try and make it as, as accessible to everyone as, as you can. So like, for example, um, not everyone's going to read the market section of the FT, so the FT Markets team knows that they can really go hard being um, as in-depth as they need to be to appeal to the folks who are really interested in markets. Mm -hmm. Not everyone is coming to our show because they're interested in markets. They're, they may be interested in markets, but they may also be interested in geopolitics or they may be interested in tech. And our job as audio journalists is to make every single one of those subjects as accessible as possible as if people are coming to these subjects for the first time. 
And I think this is so interesting from uh, an acquisition perspective when we're looking at the next wave of readers. And I think audio products are really an interesting way in journalism and um, journalism that is seen as be a bit like, you know, uh, niche slash elitist, as sometimes we are seen as the Financial Times. And I think uh, your job is really this uh, uh, democratizing act to really make the, you know, the, the content a bit more accessible. And thanks to the show note, you get to then, uh, you know, enter into the FT world and the articles and really go uh, and delve deep into the topic. So I think it's it's quite an interesting strategy for a traditional uh, media like ourselves to to really, you know, push for podcasts and the productions in the sense. And that, and that is actually our purpose, yeah. right? If you think about the purpose of the FT News Briefing and our podcasts in general, is that we are in more or less, uh, in so many words, a brand awareness tool. People who don't know what the FT is can be introduced to it in a really non, in a less intimidating way. Um, a lot of Americans don't know what the FT is. So for a lot of them, we're coming at them for the first time. And then hopefully we can build uh, a brand loyalty from the ground up. Yeah. And what are the kind of uh, hard and soft skills uh, an audio journalist needs to have? There are like four or five fundamentals that you should really hone in on if you want to be good at podcasting. And this is, you know, I didn't come up with these. These are these are tried and true throughout the industries. But the the tenants are uh, be able to come up with a good a, a good structure for your story, whether that's scripted or uh, a conversation like this. Like I, I'm looking at you, and you have notes, and like you have your 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 questions are in a very particular order, and like that's great because otherwise conversations can go off the rails. So the first one is structure. The second one is field reporting, being able to go out and capture sound and 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 set scenes and just have a good ear for like what what brings people to a different place. Third one is writing for the ear, which is very different than writing for print. Um, if, if you've listened to my podcast, then you know that the scripting is supposed to be as conversational as possible. Um, our, our segments are as conversational as possible. That's a skill. That's not, that's not just some, like, because a lot of people come in, you know, they, they learn how to write a certain way. Newspaper writing doesn't translate over. It takes a certain mindset. So that was three. Where are we now? Four is actually editing the audio. So after you and I, this is getting a little meta, after you and I talk, someone's going to have to cut this down. So I'm trying to keep this as concise as possible and uh, make their lives easier. And five is um, actually voicing. So like I, I've gotten help from voice coaches and um, and you know, you went to a voice coach, others on the in this class went to a voice coach. And it's really, it's not something that comes naturally. As I said, when I first started this job, I wasn't as confident as I was, and I needed some help really kind of finding my voice. So I think this is so interesting in terms of like uh, how you can uh, talk in front of a microphone, how different it would be. We were in the cafeteria upstairs. Of course, I know I'm uh, really paying a lot of attention to my accent, making sure my, I'm Italian, uh, making sure my voice is uh, uh, on the right tone compared to yours so it's not is making a nice sound but I have a background in music so it's a bit more like for me to listen and trying to tune in with you how did you find your voice what has been maybe the, the, the biggest challenge where what were the issues you find yourself having after re-listening to you so 
I you you never know it from listening to the briefing or in a workplace environment. But um, I'm from New York, and I have a very th- when when I you know I'm feeling either comfortable or I'm emotional. Uh, my Long Island accent comes on. It comes out. I have a, I have a very strong Long Island accent okay. when I when it's unattended, um, and I found that a lot of people that I listened to in broadcast didn't have that kind of accent. So it was something that I had to kind of weed out of me, um, which I don't actually know is a good thing uh, because maybe listeners will feel like they're not actually getting to know the real me. I, I realize, but. I want my voice to be as appealing as as possible to as many people. So I don't want to deter anyone with with my Long Island accent, which is like, you know, some people don't like that. I don't like that kind of accent. As far as how did I find my voice? Like, so I've just talked about what I I didn't want to talk, what I didn't want to sound like, what I do want to sound like. Um, The way I found that out was just by listening uh, to, to everything and everything. Anything and everything, really. I mean, I listen to NPR. I listen to a ton of podcasts. Yeah. I listen to people who do this kind of audio journalism, so uh, business and and finance podcasts. A big big inspiration of mine was a guy named Kai Rizdal. He does uh, he does a show called Marketplace in in America. So uh, he was a great he was a great inspiration for how to be relaxed behind the mic and uh, fun. That was a that was a big really big draw for me is how to make this fun, um, and I think just just taking bits and pieces of every person that you listen to, and implementing that into your voice was how I kind of came to into my own and also just um, listening to yourself right so if if you and I were having this conversation in the cafeteria, I would think about how I sound like in that moment. And I, I started to do this. I would started to track myself in everyday conversation. And I would think about turn of phrases that I really liked. Um, and I'd start to use those in my interviews or uh, a, tile, a, a style or a tone that I, would, I really liked. Um, and I would try to implement those into my conversations on air. And just just being very conscious of what I sound like at all times. Yeah, I, I think it's like uh, you know uh, we need to go maybe in this space and in this format to be light-hearted. I think sometimes because if I would just if I if I put myself too many boundaries of like I am not uh, a Brit, I'm not American. I I I can make and I make a lot of grammar mistakes because I am thinking and focusing a bit more on the meaning rather than uh, the structure of what I'm saying. So I think it's like just um, going with like people will know and uh, are listening to this and maybe will be open as well to you know uh, the natural side of this. I think it's like making it feel very organic sometimes is, is quite an advantage and uh, you can definitely improve and I think the more you do and this is uh, something that we say in any context when we are looking at career tips for our uh, listeners and uh, early career professionals uh, listening to this podcast is that you as you said do your market analysis look at competitors, check them out and uh, try to copy and paste and make your own things that you have seen from uh, other innovators or thing, or people that, uh, you know, you believe uh, that are doing uh, uh, a great job. I was listening and actually uh, checking uh, an article on The Guardian and I just uh, have it here. But uh, uh, psychologists found that uh, there is a real uh, 
psychological reason on why we hate listening to our own voice. Oh, really? What, what is that? It's basically, but it's, uh, it's, it's the fact that we, um, there is actually a study that uh, is saying that uh, um, the vocal coordination that we feel inside, it's very different from how it actually comes outside and how other people are l- Listening. So you think you sound different than you actually sound, or you you sound different to you than you do when you hear the taping played back to you? Is that it? Exactly, yeah, because okay. it, it's actually different. Yeah. Because this is a, a resonance box that is very different from what you're getting. Hence, it's kind of a schizophrenic moment for you because you get a, a second voice. You don't recognize yourself, and that's why it makes you cringe. When you listen to yourself. And it's it's true. I mean, I had a hard time listening back to myself when I first started. I, I, I'll tell you that a lot of my guests don't like listening back to their segments after they've recorded them. Yeah, I mean it's it's um I think and I think this is actually a very good point that you that you bring up that um I had to learn to to get used to my own voice and listen to it. So uh for a long time I was the only producer on my own show which means I had to go back and listen to my own voice and cut my own tape and do like, I had to be in it. I had to like, I had to be, I had to listen to me a lot, um, <laughs> which is like, which is, is really intimidating at first because most people, as you point out, don't, don't like their own voice, but it was really good for me. Um, it made me keep track of um, all the things that were working and all the things that weren't working yeah. Um, and it, it really forced me to kind of be in it and and notice the things that made the show better. And I totally agree. I think it's like you just need to step back a certain, at a certain level and just think about this as a project that you're trying to build. And it's like uh, you are part of this product and you want this product to be, you know, um, improved. And uh, I hate listening to myself, for example. I really, really dislike it. It's hard. And I think the thing... It's both, you know, you started this off by saying that it's such an intimate thing for others, right? And and it is. It's really intimate because you're in you're in someone's head um, if they're listening to you in earbuds, or like sometimes you'll be the only noise in the room. But as the as a producer, as a host, you have to kind of separate yourself out and realize that it's not personal, right? Like you 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 need to to look at it as as a product, as you said. And, and not be as intimate about it as maybe it is for the listeners. Um, younger listeners on the talent show, what is your best tip you would like to give to someone that would love to enter in uh, your uh, job space? So maybe some of our listeners would love to be an audio journalist, to host a podcast, or they are already doing it. What is your tip for them? Uh, I would say get to know as much about the field and try as many facets of the field as, as possible. I think for a few reasons, one, you, you don't know what you like and what you don't like until you try it. I think, I think a lot of people are like, ah, you know, I really want to be a host. And some people try being a host and they don't, they they hate it. Like I, I, like they, they, they don't like the pressure. They don't like being, the outward facing person who accepts all the criticism and, and, you know, being the product basically. Um, and it's not for them, but maybe they really like producing. 
Um, or maybe they like the the editing part of it or the booking part of it or the field recording part of it. Or there's so many different facets of podcasting. I think a lot of people think it's just hosting and being behind the mic, but it's so much more than that. And if you don't get to know those things, um, you don't you won't know what truly strikes you as your passion. Also, doing everything makes you a better audio journalist. In the way you have built, you have built the FT News Breathing, and that's my next question for you. Um, what was the journey to create something like that? And uh, um, second question on this, if you want. Um, how difficult it is to cover so many different things every single morning with that recurrence, constants, and, uh, you know, early starts to make sure that the product is in, uh, in everyone's iPhones every morning? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I think there's a little bit of overlap in between your two, yeah. two questions. So building it, the most important thing was consistency, yeah. right? So um, consistency in the sense that I, for the most part, have been the host for the last three years, uh, three and a half years out of the four years that the show has been around. And I'm going to do a little shout out. We just hit our 1000th episode. So yeah. like really, really proud of that. Yeah. Um, but you wait, know, because you just said that. Can you make the intro for us? Oh, what date do you want? Today. Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Wednesday, November 16th. And this is your FT News Briefing. My God, I'm dying. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, got it. Sorry. <laughs> but that, but that's the thing is that I can do that from scratch. Like I like I. It's not hard to remember. It's like three. It's like twelve words. But like, I've I've done it every day that yeah. I can snap into it immediately because I because there's all that consistency there, and that's how you make a good product, right? You you show up every day. You let listeners know that it's going to be a good product, and then you do the same thing tomorrow. Right. Every single day you do it. And um, you you make sure that you you do it for the listener. Right. Like I think a lot of people get into podcasting because they want to be famous or like they it's like podcasting is like the hot new thing. But like if you're doing it for those reasons, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Like you do it for your listeners. And that drives us editorially, too. So every day we get, I mean, dozens of stories thrown at us. I mean, we have the whole FT dot com ft website at our disposal and we have to choose three stories a day four stories a day and what we go for is first of all what's relevant and what makes what will help our listeners understand the world around them better and that's what drives us right yeah. so who who's going to be the person that's going to be able to explain those things the best and you know how you know now that these listeners possess the, this knowledge that they, they heard from this podcast or analysis, I guess is a better way of saying it. You know, what, what, what will they do with it, right? Will it help them in their job? Will it help them in their studies? We've gotten a lot of feedback from students who say, like, it's really helped them in their studies. And that's, that's what we hope for when we pick our stories is that it's, it's genuinely going to help people. Yeah, and I think it's really true because it's, it gives uh, an understanding and an overview of what's happening. And then, you know, as I said before, you can uh, pick 
and choose what you want to select. And I think it's uh, it's something that uh, we shouldn't be doing as a Financial Times in terms of like maybe the app or anything that we're offering on the content side because we are not an aggregator and uh, we are not a distributor of news. But I think it's quite interesting that you can create these new products on new formats. It can be, of course, the audio side. It can be on the social media. It can be on, uh, on the video side. And I think it's just a, a new way in for new audiences and diverse audiences. And uh, I have a question for you. How do, um, when you're doing your interviews, right, you, you really have uh, such an interesting, uh, uh, you know, overview and uh, literary spectrum of uh, um, topics that uh, you are covering uh, with your questions. And uh, to be a perfect interviewer, how do you prepare yourself? Because every single day you go from markets to uh, geopolitics to cybersecurity. I, I understand having a bit of context about the news itself, you know, like you read it and it's fine. But how do you build for yourself your own confidence in such a diverse range of topics? Uh, admit not knowing what you don't know. Right. So like, I, seriously, I mean, if you don't, th this is the best part of my job is that I get access to experts who do this for a living and are some of the smartest people on the planet. Um, and like understanding the content enough to get me by until I get to the interview and be like, I don't understand this, Katie Martin. Like, I don't, I don't understand this, Martin Wolf. Can you explain, can you explain this to me? Because nine times out of 10, if I have that question, our listeners are going to have that question too. And that's what I'm trying to do. And that's what my team is trying to do is try and think on behalf of the listener because what we're trying to do is make all this accessible to our listeners because sometimes it can be a little wonky and there's a lot of jargon that goes into these things. What we want to do is think about what people might not know about the subject and how to explain it the, the in the clearest way. Um, and I, I do want to say that like our, the only reason – one of the biggest reasons I'm as good at my job as I am is because I have a, I just have a killer team, right? Like I have a producer. I, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do a shout out here, so you get, do do not edit this out, please. No, 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 no. We won't. I, I really. My question was that was my 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 next question actually is like you are the frontman, but in every band there is always you know an orchestra behind. So I would love to know who plays the drums or the bass. Oh, wow. So give, yeah. give, me, give me that. <laughs> I love that. I never, I've never thought about my team as a band. That's, yeah. that's awesome. I, I'll give you the band. Don't worry. Okay, cool. <laughs> I told you, music background. <laughs> band for 11 years. <laughs> so uh, our host, uh, our, I'm the host, but our guest host this week is Sonia Hudson. Yeah. She's our producer. She just joined the team back in May. She's awesome. Um, she Hi, over, Sonia. Hi, Sonia. She came over from public radio in Utah and before that was um, doing some reporting in San Francisco. Um, we also have our editor, Jess Smith, who's fantastic. Uh, she came over from public radio as well. She worked for NPR for a number of years and was, I believe, based in, in Asia um, for a while. And she's just she's got a good, great knack for for crafting stories in a way that um, can sometimes, if not tended to, go off the rails. And then we have Fiona Simon, who is um, the only person on the audio team that is longer tenured than I am. And okay. and she's, by a long shot, she's been here for 20 years. So she's um, she brings a lot of institutional knowledge mm -hmm. 
to the table. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, she just knows everyone, right? She、okay. just, she knows everyone. She knows the topics inside out and backward. Like, she's a pleasure to work with. And not only does she work on our show, but she also works on Rockman Review, one of our other podcasts. So, like, she's splitting our time and still doing a fantastic job. And、um, I, for a long time, I worked on this podcast alone、um, or, or with the help of one other person who was also splitting her time with other things. And it was hard. Like, it was, it was so hard doing it by yourself. And, like, I, and the show wasn't as good because I was doing it by myself because it, it, was, it was like a two person feedback loop. Now that we have a bigger team, It's, it's, much, it's a much better product. It's way better. I love it behind the scenes. And、uh, can we just go into the value chain of producing a podcast, like really briefly? So you said you have this team. So you wake up in the morning. What does it happen? Okay. So you wake up in the morning, and first thing you do, because I'm based in. The East Coast,、um, based on the East Coast of the US, is I, I go through just a ton of emails,、um, both from my colleagues and also breaking news alerts and stories that have already been written. And like, it's my email, it's Slack, and then it's open up the app and go to, to ft.com and, and look at the front page and see if anything is broken overnight while I was, while I was sleeping. And then it's seeing if any of those stories are worth us covering in the next day's show. And there are a few things that go into that. Is it big enough for us to, to talk about? Is it big enough that、um, it'll still be important the next day? Because there's basically a 24 hour lag. We publish、yeah. at midnight New York, 5 a.m. London.、Um, and if it is big enough that we need to have it in the next day's show, what are we going to bring to the table that other podcasts aren't? Because we're not going to put something in the show just for the sake of putting it in the show.、Um, so, those are the things that kind of run through our heads.、Um, Fiona sometimes, because she's based in London, t a k e the initiative to, to pursue Asia stories, Asian stories, stories out of Asia before we wake up and record with some of those correspondents because of the time difference、wow. between us. And then we'll wake up and she'll be like, I recorded with. You know, Sun Yu, who's our, our China, China economics、uh, correspondent, or、um, you know, Hudson Lockett, who's in, in Hong Kong. And then we'll wake up and we'll have this tape and we'll be like, all right, cool. So this needs to go on the show. And then we'll monitor stuff that is happening throughout the course of the day.、Yeah. So sometimes there's a meeting with the Federal Reserve、yeah. or you know,、um, other stuff will break, you, you know, developments in the war in Ukraine.、Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll have to find the correspondent who's covering that. To come on to the show and talk to us. And then we'll see if there's anything developing overnight. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of planning that goes on in the editing desk where they know in advance what story is going to go up at 5 a.m. London. And what we want to do is we want to replicate, basically, be the audio version of the, of, of the front page of the FT. So, we try and match what they have and also you know, see if there are any scoops that they've scheduled and get、yeah. in touch with those correspondents to see if they'll talk to us. So, I wake up eight o'clock in the morning and do those things. And between eight and like five or six New York time is when we put the show together. And some of it, you know, we do in advance. So, like, we'll, we'll record something a day, a day in advance and then hold that for another day's show. Um, but you know, two thirds of the show at the very least is done on the fly in that day. Fantastic. 
and the the correspondents do come on the show like recording from uh, their homes or they come in the studio everywhere um, everywhere s- everywhere so um i would say that maybe a third come into the, the london studio um or if they're in london and they've gone home for the night they'll record from home um you know we have a lot of people about a third come from the states and a third from the rest yeah. of the world and we've had to figure this out using limited resources. So what does that mean? That means not everyone's going to have a professional microphone in their house. So we have them record a voice memo backup on their iPhones and they send it to us and it's it sounds good enough that it can go on the show and I think there's a little bit of understanding on our listeners parts that it's not going to sound as good as a studio quality every single time out. But also there's um you know we're not we're not asking them to to listen to not professional tape for 20 minutes or 30 minutes we're asking them to listen to it 5 minutes at a clip so even if it's not the best tape uh the content is there so they they're they're still getting the gist of it uh and they only have to listen to what might be subpar tape for a short amount of time That's super interesting. Thank you so much for sharing this. And I think there is a lot of collage that then goes uh, on, right? Uh, at the end of it with uh, the editor and uh, to have a final product. I'm always amazed by uh, the time commitment that you have every single morning and you need to create this. I mean, I see how long does it take to do such a, a job for an episode that then gets released a few weeks after. And I'm so surprised every morning to have uh, seven minutes that are so sleek. And uh, I, it's something that I just really wanted to share with our listeners of like uh, the amount of work that you need to put into that the day before and maybe overnight. And that's why having uh, different people on different time zones and it's not the whole newsroom, but is one separate team managing this. And I think that's, that's really amazing. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot more work than you would think goes into a 10-minute podcast. Yeah. I, I remember I saw someone on Twitter who who, who also does a 10-minute – who also did a 10-minute yeah. podcast. And someone would ask them, so what do you do for the rest of the day? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, no. It doesn't take 10 minutes to make. It is just the, the final product is 10 minutes. The, the whole day is spent making. Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, like definitely the quantity doesn't make uh, the quality or something. So thank you so much for sharing all of these, Mark. Yeah, absolutely. Thank no, you. thank you. I, I really, really enjoyed this. As said, a very special part of our talent show is getting some of the former participants to the Talent Challenge Hackathon experience into the show and asking directly to our experts their questions. So today we have for Mark, uh, Ines and Joseph that are joining us. Where are you uh, from, Ines? I am Spanish, um, but I am studying my Master of Management Science at UCL. Super. So thanks for coming here over in the, our London studio in Brackenhouse. What about you, Joseph? Uh, I'm originally Australian, but I'm also doing a Master's in International Development at LSE. Fantastic. Where, where about in Australia? Sydney. Super, yeah. super, super. So, Ines, would you like to ask uh, your question for Mark? 
Yes, so uh, why do you think people are shifting from uh, traditional media sources such as newspapers to podcasts in order to get their uh, news every day? I think a big part of it has to do with accessibility, which I talked a little bit about before. First of all, I think people are drawn to more conversational type things than standard print. I also think that um, at least what I understand from a lot of the listeners who've reached out to me and I've talked to through surveys is that it allows them to do other things. So uh, one of my favorite parts about the the podcast being so short is that it's a a lot of people use it as a measurement in time. Like I I can brew my cup of coffee or tea in the time that a briefing is done or I know exactly where I'll be in my commute when the briefing is done. But when you're reading something uh in traditional media, uh you're that's it, right? You have to you have to be in it and and concentrate on it, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it doesn't allow you the time to do other stuff too. So I think that the the combination of being conversational and friendly sounding, in addition to freeing you up to do other things, makes it a good um, makes it a, a good product for people to enjoy. Does that help? Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, Joseph. Um, I was sort of wondering, in a time when some people would say the media environment is becoming almost oversaturated, um, how do you think podcasts can continue to fit into people's news consumption? That's, I mean, it's a it's a question we grapple with all the time. There's so many podcasts, right? There's just there's so many. Like, why 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 listen to ours versus uh, another one? And I think that's every podcast needs to ask themselves what they're bringing to the table that's different, say the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times. And I think the thing from our perspective is that we we bring a, an international perspective to it with people on the ground all over the world. Uh, for other podcasts, their draw might be different. Like for Marketplace or NPR, they're uniquely American and they they give an American perspective on things. And that's one of their strong suits is that they they know who their audience is, their core audience. So I think Podcasts need to know what their strengths are and who they're talking to. And if they stick to those core values, they'll separate themselves out from the crowd. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Thank you. Ines? Yes, I, I was interested in knowing, um, what are your views on the listening trends to podcasts after the pandemic? Because I have seen some research that says that they actually went up. Uh, but then there is other research that suggests that actually it decreased because people stopped commuting to their workplaces. So so it, it, the, the, the trends dramatically changed. What's your view? So I, I can't speak for other podcasts, and I don't want to pretend to because I don't know enough about what how other podcasts are doing. So I'll just speak from uh, on on behalf of my own podcast and say that we we've done well during the pandemic, right? Like um and I think the reason we we did well is because we were a financial podcast in the middle of a global financial crisis, right? So things when things went poorly ec- economically, people wanted to know why and what was going to happen next. And a lot of our audiences, a lot of our audience is uh they're in the field of banking and investment, and I think people look to us f- as a resource. So I think in that way, uh, because we provided value in that sense in a time of uncertainty and change, we were able to maintain growth. Um, and now, you know, we've, we've kind of leveled off a little bit. We're, we're still growing, but not as much. But I think it's because we're entering a, a time of more stability, <laughs> which is funny to say because things are still pretty unstable but 
more stability than things were uh, at at the start of the pandemic. And um, I think people will always want to listen to things to, to understand things better. So when you're in those moments, whether it's a pandemic or not a pandemic, in a time of severe change, you're going to see growth in the in any medium, reader, listener, video. I think people just want to ha- want to understand what's going on, and they'll they'll come to you if you give them a better sense of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, and then on a totally unrelated note, I was sort of wondering, how does the process go for you when you get breaking news that you have to include close to your deadline? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, Joseph. Yeah. Uh, you, you rip the whole show up and you start from scratch. Um, no, in all seriousness, there have been times where we've had, I've, I've had some some real late nights, like uh, trying to figure out how to fit breaking news into the story and where it's going to go and who's going to talk to me and just like a thousand things running through my head. Um, I mean, the night, the night that I guess it was morning in Europe, but my night when Russia invaded Ukraine, we were on total standby because it was, it was, it was going to happen every, any minute. And I was, I was talking to our Russia correspondent, or sorry, I think a Russia bureau our Moscow bureau chief now, uh, Max Seddon, who, it, who's I was pinging him back and forth, and we had we had recorded an interview earlier in the day, and he's just like heads up, this could happen tonight, so everything that we recorded earlier in today could mean nothing. So be prepared to record again. And to to his credit, he got back on the phone with me at I think it was like two o'clock in the morning his time to to re-record everything, um, but. I think there. I think there. It would be very easy for us to say, "Eh, we missed it. We'll get it the next day." But that's not why people come to us. They don't look for day two stuff. I mean, they do, but they they want to know what's happening in the moment or or shortly after it happens. And I think we need to prioritize those things and fit the rest of the show around that, and not the other way around. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I get one of the virtues of being an international podcast is obviously you can take an international perspective, but then you've also got to deal with international time zones and all the rest. It's tough, especially when we're talking to our Asian our correspondents in Asia because they uh, they're thirteen hours ahead. You know, there's a little bit of trickery um, uh, that happens where I re-record my questions. Our, one of my producers, Fiona, will actually conduct the interview, and then I'll re-record my questions as though I've conducted it. Um, which is maybe a little sleight of hand, but it's the only way that it works. So we we make it happen. Thank you so much for uh, your questions, guys. And uh, I cannot thank enough Mark for all uh, his uh, insights and what he has been sharing with with us and uh, the talent show uh, today. I'm really, really grateful. You're normally based in New York, so it was uh, fantastic to have you here in London. Uh, Cannot wait, actually, to meet you uh, during uh, the challenge that we're going to do in uh, New York City in a few weeks. So thank you so much, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. And thanks to all our listeners for tuning in today. Thank you. This has been The Talent Show, which is produced by the FT Talent Team, Aya Al-Shihabi, Noor Hafez, and me, Virginia Stani. Our podcast producer, editor, and sound engineer is Arturo Ochoa, and our social media producer is Letizia Clementi. Our music is by Dennis Kishuk. Check out all of the Talent Show episodes at fttalent.ft.com, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and follow FT Talent on socials for updates. Until next time, and keep listening. Keep listening.